Welcome to TBC Extra, a weekly podcast of our Sunday sermon and a little extra. I am Teresa Jenkins, the communications director here at Topeka Bible Church. And I'm Jason Brent, the children's pastor at Topeka Bible Church. And we're glad you're here. And now for a little extra. Hello, welcome back to another extra. Hello, welcome back to another extra. And Jason and Alan, as always, and drum roll, Alex Wolf. Hello. The wolf pack is back. The wolf pack is part of the wolf pack is back. The lone wolf. The lone wolf. The alpha. (laughs) Yes, the alpha is here. Um, And you're going to find out why in a minute if you weren't here Sunday for the message. You're going to find out why Alex is back. But... um, I guess that, that would be now. Right. That's the next thing we also could do our quiz game, but if you didn't listen to the sermon or no, we have to explain why yeah, we're talking about that's cities. That's right. As we well, got to set so. up the quiz. And Jason is much more prepared for today than I. So let's segue to him. All right. So we've got a quiz here about oh cities. Uh oh. And I guess we should say this for after the sermon, but is the bigger the city, the the worse they are because they want a bigger name for themselves and that kind of thing. So if, if we, the smaller city that you live in, the more holy you are. It's exactly the application that I was looking for. Yeah. I'm so, moving to Harveyville. And since Alex now lives in Dallas, you know, Uh-oh. Yeah, it's got us all beat oh, in a bad yeah. way. Now. So a moral crisis on. on my hands. All right. So I've got a couple questions about cities to see. How I'm much so we know about glad cities. you're doing the game this time. Take <laughs> oh, the pressure boy. off me. All right. So I'm going to read to you the three biggest cities okay. in the world. Okay. You can try to put them in order. Oh, Ooh. boy. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So Tokyo, Japan, Shanghai, China, or Delhi, India. Wow, Alex, what are you thinking? Let's do this together. Okay. Um, I was thinking Shanghai until Delhi was uh, red, and and I I feel like I've heard a a statistic on that, but I can't place it. So I should say uh, maybe that this is based on 2021. Oh, well, that changes our answer. Okay, sorry, I didn't want to. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, I was working with old data. (laughs) My my feeling is that Tokyo is the the bottom of the three. I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm good with that. Let's put that third. It's, it's based on just feeling. So yes. is it Shanghai that's how we or make Delhi? Decisions. It yeah. is. It does. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you think Delhi might be top? I think it might be, but I don't know why. I just have a, I, I feel like I remembered hearing, hearing that at some point, but. Was it, um, does I it al- feel I've like it was before 21? I, I don't know. Let's go with Delhi. As the I'm good with that. One. Yeah. I like those numbers. Shot. So we're putting Delhi and then Shanghai, and then Tokyo. According to Google, okay. in 2021, okay. the biggest city, or actually we'll say with the third one, the third most least populated, how do you say that? The third biggest city okay. is Delhi, India. Oh, okay. Wow, we, we blew that up. <laughs> and number two was Tokyo, Japan. <laughs> oh, Got boy. them all wrong. Yeah, and well, number one was Shanghai. Wow. Which... I, having been there, I would have, that would surprise me. I didn't realize that Shanghai was so big. Um, I would not have, if someone said, what is the 
biggest city in China, I would have probably said Beijing. So um, I didn't even know yeah. that one, even though now, I've been to both Shanghai and Beijing, but I've not been to the others. So if you had asked us about Kansas towns, we'll get there, Teresa. Don't oh, worry. Oh, no. I have one Kansas inspired <laughs> trivia okay, city for you. you. I'm going to count my lack of uh, knowledge of these cities to be a sign of my holiness. <laughs> If I would have got all those right, I would have, uh, it would have been a bad thing. That's Related true. again to the sermon, <laughs> yeah. which you haven't heard yet, unless you heard it. Um, yeah. Well, good. <laughs> so, okay. I'm kidding. Of course. Know how to respond to that. <laughs> so this next question is about airports in the oh. United States. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so we'll do the same thing. To talk. I'll give okay. you three airports and you tell me which ones are the busiest airports in the United States in terms of number of people who pass through them each year. Or I believe it's on flights. flights. I bet it's the amount same of flights. Thing. Okay. I, I don't. Yeah. I'm sure there's a correlation. <laughs> the more flights, the more people, especially post COVID. Not a lot of because, flights of one. Well, there used to be, but not anymore. They yeah. are packing them on there now. Yeah. So, okay. Sardines. So you got one possible answer. Dallas. Fort Worth Airport, Denver International Airport, or the Atlanta Airport? Ooh. I have been to all three of these. I have too. I have as well. They're all busy. They are all busy. They are all busy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't think that DFW was that, was on the top. I've never heard that, but it's possible. Is it a hub for some of the... Uh, American. Yeah. It's a hub for American. It's a hub for American. Maybe even a few. Atlanta's a hub for uh, uh, Delta. Okay. And I think Denver's a hub for Southwest. Mm. And there's a familiar theme there. They're all hubs. That is correct. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Which would um, be why they're the busiest. The busiest, airport. yes. I, man. That is... Uh, it's hard. I'm a, I'm but gonna there's go. other big air. There's another big airport in, in Dallas, Dallas, right? Yeah, Love Field. Mm-hmm. That's Field. for Southwest. I, that's what I flew through. I have not been to yeah. Dallas. Fort Worth. Um, I'm gonna say Denver. That's uh-huh. my, I'm that's gonna my go number Denver. one. You think? Final answer. Yeah. Oh, are we going oh, one, two, three? Do we three? rank them? Yes, let's go one, oh, two, three. Okay, one, two, okay. three. Fun. Um, I think Atlanta's two. I'm good with that. I'm a t- for me, it's yeah. a toss up on the others. Okay, so Denver first, Atlanta second, Dallas fourth. We're a third. Okay. The number one busiest airport in the United States is Atlanta Airport. The second busiest is the Dallas one. That gummit. (laughs) And the third busiest is Denver. (laughs) We are just rocking it today. remains intact. (laughs) Again, I'm kidding about this. Just in case. <laughs> I don't want to cut, ruffle any feathers here. For, for all the people who are listening, the one or two of you who don't understand our humor, you need to know that Alex is. And I like this ranking thing. So we'll just keep doing that. Too. Okay. Okay. Now the next one and the second to last one, in case you're wondering how long this is going to last. Yeah, how much more? You can fast um, forward. <laughs> this one is uh, the busiest container ports. Oh, <laughs> In the world, because container ports are a big deal because you have all so many things getting stuck in the oceans. You know, we don't have our, you know, supply chains been disrupted and everything. Yes. I just watched a story on CBS Sunday morning about houses made out of containers. Containers. They're kind of cool. They're pretty cool. I've been watching, I've been watching a lot of videos about swimming pools made out of containers. Oh, there you go. (laughs) For whatever reason. So anyway, all right. So there's three 
busy. These are the three top busiest container ports in the world. Okay. You put them in order. The first one I'm going to tell you is Shanghai. The second one is Los Angeles. The third one, Hong Kong. Okay. I feel like Hong Kong might be be number one. It's got to be. You think Uh, Shanghai is second? I I think so. I I have nothing to go on. I have no basis for this. But uh, But most of the goods that would be coming into the West Coast, I assume, well, you've also got Portland and Mm. some other ports. Mm. But I would think most of the goods would be coming through L.A. on the West Coast. I could be wrong. What I do you mean, think? It, it just given that Shanghai was yeah. the largest city, yeah. you might as well throw Let's that go with as it. number two, and okay. then we'll do LA three. And if uh, number two was LA, then I am holier than thou. Yeah, there. All right. <laughs> so that's interesting because we're still I, wrong. I feel like no. Well, I feel like that was uh, Teresa had very good deductive reasoning there, mm. but the number one busiest port city is Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And number three is Shanghai. Oh, and uh, primarily they send a lot of their stuff to Los Angeles. So both of them are sending a lot to yeah. Los Angeles. Okay. So yeah, so Los Angeles was number two. We got one right. Okay, now that's the hey. right so Teresa will get this one right. One out I'm of not even now. I'm feeling pressure because she knows so much about Kansas. Okay, okay. So as you know, a, a at least according to the history books that I've been read, I read when I was in fourth grade about Kansas history and explore Coronado is a big part, big part of Kansas history. Cause we like to claim that he came through Kansas. I guess he did. He did. Uh, and Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. So that's called <laughs> Is that why they named it Colorado? Colorado. It's, it's right on the state line. Okay. So <laughs> which city or collection of cities was Coronado searching for? Oh, the Lost Cities of Gold. Yes, but there is an actual name for them. Um, How many were there? I, I, I don't okay. know. <laughs> Alex is like, ah, no, this is good. I'm out. You're, yeah, Alex <laughs> you picked a good one. I'm thinking seven. That is correct. Seven okay. cities wow. of gold. Cibola? Huh? Cibola. Oh my goodness, that is right. I wow. That's how you say it. C-I-B-O-L-A, Cibola is correct. Wow. Good job. Impressive. I confused you with suge- you know, options on the other ones. I should have just not given you options. You would have got them all right. That's amazing. I, I really thought you probably would have a good guess of that, but that's I Cibola. I helped edit a uh, children's activity book for Kansas. And... Um, <laughs> That may have been one of the stories. I assume that it is. Um, Next time I get to make a quiz, it's going to be all about Kansas. Teresa, that that is more than amazing. You you are a true Kansas girl. Well, I know people and and respect some people I can think of by name who who know a lot more than me. But I learned everything I know from them, and I feel like we could do a whole separate podcast. 
But this is ostensibly Kansas a church we podcast. Call it, so. uh, Kansas. Kansas. <laughs> about half Goodness. of those people would be in favor of that. All right. The other half would be like, no way. Leave that's it what most of the things I say, half the people are in favor and half of them aren't. So that's a re- part for the course. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you for coming sure. <laughs> coming all the way to Topeka just to do the podcast. No, you came to uh, preach two messages for... Yes. Um, for us while um, Connor's on paternity leave. Mm-hmm. And um, you were telling us a story in staff meeting Uh-oh. about you guys. Oh, you know, yeah. You've been gone oh, for about bad. a month and a half. Yes. Living in way north of Dallas, yeah. but still in the Dallas metro area. Yes. Is it still considered yeah, that? It is. Like you said, you're how far from downtown? About 45 minutes to an hour. So wow. if you were mm-hmm. Denton and Frisco yeah. are, I'm kind of in between those two towns. Yeah. So Okay. Mm-hmm. And you were telling us that you've had an interesting, oh, several interesting experiences, but one that really stood out had to do with someone you met at a church up there. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. We went to, you know, one, one of our, uh, convictions was, you know, we, we didn't like to church shop. So, and we've been telling people that for years. <laughs> and so this was our, I mean, I've only ever got to churches to work at them in the last since I can remember, you know? And, uh, and so we went to the first church and we're like, all right, we're going to plant our flag here. Um, not really knowing anything about it, but so we went to a, uh, a Sunday school class and try to feel things out. And, uh, there's a DTS student there with his wife. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where I'm attending to work on my degree. And, uh, and I get to know him and you have to know that the seminary is kind of fractured up into these different departments that have some like weird kind of rivalries with each other. I don't know if that's the way, best way to describe it, but Stealing it's like, each other's mascots. Yeah. In, yeah I mean, the the night. It's just kind of like, you know, some view other departments as less than, you know, it's oh. just sort of like this weird, yes, very this Christian, Christian seminary. Yeah, it, Christian yeah. seminary. It's, it's everywhere you go. But, uh, so, so I'm always cautious when I'm like, what department are you in? You know what I mean? Cause, uh, it's just kind of got a weird culture to it. But, um, and so we start talking and and I find out he's in, in the Bible department, which is where, where I'm in, which is kind of rare to find somebody who's like gung ho about the Bible department. Um, (laughs) Again, 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 at a seminary. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm, uh, so I'm talking to him about, uh, you know, Oh, I'm here doing a PhD and, and he's like, oh, I want to do a PhD too. And I said, oh, and what? And he goes, well, Bible exposition. And I want to study under Dr. Klingler, who happens to have been my mentor in my master's degree and, and the guy I'm going to study under in this program. I was like, hey, that's what I'm doing right now. And so that was sort of like this kind of like, oh, wow, wow. We, we speak the same language, which is super <laughs> rare, you know, and it's kind of a thing. But then we get to talking and, and he lives on campus with his wife. Um, and you have to keep in mind, we're 45 minutes north yeah, of Yeah, so this is campus. a convenient little... Yeah church for and, them to uh, attend. Yeah. So they're staying in, in the uh, campus housing for, for married students in these apartments uh, called Swiss tower. And uh, I said, Oh, you guys live in Swiss. How do you like it? Oh, we love it. You know? And I said, what apartment do you live in? They said five ten. And my wife and I look at each other that was our apartment. <laughs> right. Wow. And so, so he lived in our apartment. They live in our apartment and rightfully they recognize it's the best apartment in the building. And, uh, in our opinion, has the biggest closet. So, <laughs> uh, and a really great view of campus in downtown Dallas. Nice. It's really nice. beautiful. And so they also appreciated that, which was nice. But the fact they live in our apartment and we're going to get to go see it 
Um, and you know, they speak the same language. He's got the same sort of ideas about the Bible that I do. And, and so that was just kind of a nice little treat, wow. you know, and wow. the fingerprints of God, yeah. it, it just, it's hard to say that this is all just a coincidence right. when it's so many things. It, yeah, it was really great. And so we have a lot of the same friends and, and, you know, it, it was one of those things that like we, we instantly found sort of a sense of community Good. with them and we're Here's looking forward to, to continue to building wow. some of those relationships. Thanks okay. for sharing. Yeah. And you did okay. You did find a football club. Uh, I did. I, I saw fan I, group. I, some of you know I'm a, I'm a big supporter of Manchester City. <laughs> uh, I just had to look at Jason, and yes, his eyes are rolling. <laughs> English Premier League soccer. Uh, I I call it football yes. as it should be. And uh, yeah, so in, in a big city like that, you have a lot of supporter clubs, and so I'm part of a group. Some of them from Manchester, and oh. so it's very authentic, and we meet at a pub and cheer for the club. <laughs> That's great. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Just like they do in England. You really so. are finding all kinds fish of community. There. Yes. Fish <laughs> it's interesting how, how well these people actually do community outside. You know, these aren't Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how similar it is to a church experience but yes. apart from God actually. And so, I mean, they're mm. singing with each other. They have camaraderie. They're encouraging one another. They're having, they're meeting and having community and meals with one another. And it's, it's really interesting to observe actually. I just yeah. heard a podcast last week about crowd effervescence mm. and that, that concept of when we gather together and we sing songs, whether it's a church or a fan yeah. club, you know, I, my husband and I used to have season tickets for KU and we sat around all the same people and we sang the fight songs and, and and wave the wheat and all that. And it, I won't say that the Holy spirit was, (laughs) but, um, it, it was a very spiritual like experience. And so this particular podcast was questioning whether some of the experiences Christians have in, churches where we, you know, we worship together or a special event with a conference or something. Yeah. If that's really, if we're just experiencing that Crowd effervescence. effervescence. Yeah. Huh. I'd never heard that term before. Yeah. Either. It's really, you know, I, I always thought it was kind of ironic. You know, I, I was a worship pastor at one point, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I think a lot of worship pastors like people aren't singing, you know, people are, and, you know, especially the men in the crowd, you know, arms <laughs> crossed, holding mm-hmm. their coffee. Like I'm not going to sing. I'm, I'm too cool for this. And, you know, men don't sing go to a soccer game or go to a, a supporters club match. I mean, they're singing the entire time. They just got to find the right thing to sing about. And so it's, it's right. one of those things that's kind of a challenge. I go there and I see the liveliness of this group and I'm like, how come some of our churches aren't, aren't, yeah. aren't replicating this on a, on a higher level, you know, worshiping God rather than soccer, of course, you know, and yeah. so it's interesting, interesting, thought. which kind of segues nicely into sure. your message and yeah. about making a name for oneself versus making a name for God. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and uh, listen to that sermon. And then we'll be back with Alex and talk back a little more afterward. All right, man, it's good to see you all. Um, I, uh, I was walking over here this morning to this building and, um, I ran into Connie, many of you know Connie, and she yelled across the, across the parking lot, oh my gosh, I thought you weren't wearing a shirt. <laughs> um, so it's not something I thought through very well. Traveled a long way to come here and uh, this is the only shirt I had that didn't wrinkle. So um, I didn't realize it was my skin tone. So I, I promise if you're, just in case the camera's not like quite up to, I am wearing a shirt. 
We did a lot of things to spruce up Sunday mornings, but we haven't gone that far, so. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not allowed to say that, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> but it is good to be back. Uh, I've missed so many of your faces, and so it's so good to see you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Alex Wolf. I, I'm the former young adults pastor here. Um, and I have the honor of coming back. I've been asked to come back to guest preach this week and next. Um, though, doesn't feel, I don't feel much like a guest, I guess, you know, in, in so many ways. Uh, y'all are family to me and my wife and, and my boys. Unfortunately, they weren't able to come. But uh, uh, even from a distance, I, I, I'm sure that I'll continue to feel that for a long time. The love and support you guys have showed over the last few years was just absolutely amazing. And we, we love you guys. I'm excited to be back uh, to do this. And so as family, just kind of update you a little bit in, in case you're unaware of what we've been up to. Me and my family, we uh, moved about a month and a half ago to Texas, um, and we're living in a, you know, a, a renting a house in far north Dallas, um, and I, I, we went back so that I could uh, work on my PhD in Bible exposition. So I'm working on a doctorate in, in a fancy work called Bible exposition, which essentially just kind of boils down to they want me to be really good at uh, noticing and expositing the themes that sort of tie scripture together, that help us to understand a book as a whole or the Bible as a whole narrative. And so I'll be doing a lot of that. And, and so as I was sort of thinking about uh, what I wanted to do, knowing that I'd sort of come back here um, and, and have the opportunity to preach to you guys again, I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and I thought it'd be fun for me to be able to share with you guys a little bit of that, a little bit of the type of thing that I enjoy doing and that I'll be doing throughout my program. Um, and as I was thinking about what themes I wanted to trace, um, we were driving down to Texas, and a- as you go further south, uh, churches get bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, and the pastor's personalities get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you'll start to notice really quickly there's billboards with the pastor's face on it and his name under it. And, and I remember thinking to myself very, in a very judgmental way, um, very strange. Why, why are they doing that? You know, I mean, the pastor, the position is supposed to be the, 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 the most humble of the flock, the example of humility and teachability and the, the, the role that exists for the soul glorifying of God through the body and faith, name. And I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Somebody's got to do something about this. Um, and then as I'm reading my Bible, looking for the themes in which I would like to exposit this morning, uh, I came across this theme of cities and altars uh, that goes all throughout the Bible. Uh, And I realized that it's not just big celebrity pastors who fall prey to billboard things. Uh, This is something that's at work in all of us. This selfish ambition, this desire to make a name for ourselves. Uh, And as I traced this theme through the Bible, I realized that the biblical authors intentionally put these here because this is not something just a few deal with, but this is all humanity. And so uh, as we're kind of tracing it through, uh, I want to see that nobody's immune. 
from this idea, right? And so as I was tracing it, I realized even as I was thinking about my own life, why, why am I going to get a PhD, right? I like to think my motivations, and I think primarily are, you know, I would, I would really like to, uh, to influence the next generation of pastors. I, wanna, I want to hone my skill of teaching and my understanding of the Bible so that I could pass it on to the next generation, so that I could most effectively use my gift of teaching so that I can take the amazing gift that's been giving, given to me, that is all the men and women who have poured into my life and who have taught me the Bible, I can take and turn and be faithful and, and do the same for them. And, and while that's my primary motivation, I, I'd be lying if I told you there wasn't a small part of me that doesn't like the name Dr. Wolf, right? Um, I know, it's ridiculous. I'm not proud of that fact. Really, I'm not. Um, <clears throat> but... You know, I thought to myself, how many of us, well, not how many of us, all of us, there, there's something inside of all of us, if we're honest, that has these desires. And so uh, I thought this would be a good opportunity for me to do both of these things, to kind of trace a theme through scripture, but also deal with something that, that's very real in my life and I think everybody's life. And so um, to be transparent, my, my primary goal this morning uh, is as we trace these themes through scripture and next week, uh, that you would come to just a deeper appreciation of the Bible. Uh, that, that's my main goal, first and foremost, that you will see the beauty and how the biblical authors orchestrated this narrative, um, and that you would come to a deeper understanding of the Bible. So that's goal number one. If that's accomplished, I'm happy. Goal number two uh, is I hope that you actually see yourself through this theme. That's why it's there. It's not just there for us to marvel at. It's there so that we honestly deal with the stuff that's inside of us. And so, uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be tracing uh, building cities and building altars. That's the theme. These are the two contrasting ideas. And whenever we trace a theme through scripture, uh, it's best to start at the beginning. In fact, if you don't start at the beginning, you're going to be very lost. And so uh, this is another one. It's kind of my MO, but this is going to be one of those things where we bite off a little more than we can chew. And so uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and I hope that you appreciate it as much as I do. So uh, let's get into it. So in the beginning of the story, God creates heaven and earth and he fills it with all the living beings and he creates a man and a woman in his image to rule over his creation on his behalf according to what he says is good and right. They are to represent his character, right? And so he places them on the earth, he sets up their rule uh, on his behalf and it's for his uh, glory. And so Genesis 1, 27, 29, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And so we're going to focus a lot on this word blessed uh, because this is probably one of the most important parts of the biblical story. This blessing that they receive is a blessing of life. He gave them life. He breathed life into them. And we're going to read, continue to read. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Uh, that's another word I want us to kind of tuck away in our mind that he, he has told Adam to subdue uh, the creation and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing. Uh, then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And so God has blessed them, placed them in the garden, given them life, and now he's provided, he's beginning to provide for their needs through the garden. And 
And so uh, we go to Genesis 2, and he says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. Uh, the, the word put, I've underlined, because it's interesting, the, the Hebrew word behind this is Noah. It's the, the name Noah, it, it means rest or comfort, right? And so the Lord God, I think is better translated, the Lord God took the man and he rested him in the garden. He had no need to strive for anything. He rested him in the garden. And because God has, has served man and has protected him by giving him this garden and provided for his needs, he's asked God to, or God has asked man to subdue, to cultivate, that is the word serve, and to keep it, to protect it. So just as God is going to serve and protect man, uh, God asks that you mimic me and you serve and you protect and you subdue, you protect what I've given you, right? And so, but what I want to focus on is this idea of blessing, Right? The, the, the point is, the significance of the blessing is that it main, first and foremost, is the breath of life given to man. They get to live, they get to represent God. Uh, but it's also provision, provision of life, provision of needs, pr- protection. Right? It, it, and the interesting thing about blessing is that the glory goes to the source. So God blesses man, and man represents God, then... God is glorified through man as he lives out his created uh, task. Um, and so uh, the, he goes on to say, uh, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, I've provided for you, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Remember that blessing is that breath of life. They have an opportunity to live. Uh, so in other words, in the day you eat of that tree you'll lose the blessing. You'll lose the blessing. And so this is a big part of the biblical story that, you know, as, as we know, man falls, they're, they're going to lose the blessing. And the rest of the story, you're just trying to get that blessing back. You're trying to get life back. You're trying to get protection and security. And so, uh, so we see that Adam, his task was to subdue. And that word subdue is the word tread underfoot. The noun version of this word is footstool. You might recognize that Jesus in the Psalms, right? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's the same word, uh, subdue. And so the idea is he's to protect the garden uh, as the garden protects him. And so when something comes and threatens God's created order, you stomp on it. Pretty simple, right? Uh, Now, we know that didn't happen, right? A serpent comes along and he starts saying, God didn't say, did he? You won't die. So if you're Adam, you're like, well, wait a minute. Kill the serpent. That's all you got to do. Done. But he doesn't. He allows the serpent to talk and the serpent uh, deceives them and, and, and entices them and says, you can become your own gods. And they say, oh yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. Right? And so then the fall happens. And as a result, the blessing has been lost. 
Uh, so the provision, the protection has been lost. We, we're, we're told that the breath of life is going to leave them and into dust they will return. Uh, they're going to be expelled from the garden. They will no longer have protection in the garden. Uh, they will no longer have the provision of the garden. They're going to have to till the land now and it's going to yield thorns and thistles and it's going to be horrible. Right? So they're, they're going to lose the blessing. Uh, the problem with this is that when man doesn't have blessing, God doesn't have the glory that he created man to give. And so, this is a problem, but there's a solution. God gives a solution in Genesis 3, 15, and 16, uh, and this is where God outlines uh, that he's going to send one, a seed of the woman, who is going to stomp the serpent's head, like Adam should have done in the beginning, right? He's going to come, he's going to stomp on the serpent's head, he's going to take care of that old serpent, but not only this, he is going to secure the blessing. He's going to return them to the garden. He's going to give them rest that they lost at the expulsion from the garden. This is the hope. This is God's solution. I'm going to send a man, uh, a new man, who's going to secure blessing, who's going to return rest and provision for all men once and for all. And so, uh, post-fall... The only way to escape the curse, that is the removal of the blessing and the rest, uh, is to wait for the blessing of God that will come through this one man, the seed of the woman. That's it. That's the only way that you get out of the curse, period. Right, And so from this point on, we're tracing the story. And so God made the promise to the woman that this son was going to come forth from her and he was going to fix it all. He's going to secure blessing, right? And so we begin to, tr to watch the story unfold. And we see her first two sons. And they're set up as a contrast. We have Cain and we have Abel. Uh, and Cain is going to represent team Satan and Abel is going to represent team God. Right, and so right off the bat, you have seed of the woman. You got one who's trusting in God's promises. You got one who's going after doing the same old stuff. I'll, I'll be a God to myself, right? And so the interesting thing is as this develops, right, these two lines, you have Abel and Seth and you have Cain. They continue to develop simultaneously and they contrast with one another. And the theme that's used to contrast them is that team God builds altars. Team serpent builds cities, it's an interesting theme. This is what the biblical authors have chosen to use to illustrate the characteristics of these two teams, of Team God and Team Serpent. And so this week, we're going to be looking at building cities. We're going to be looking at Team Serpent because in the Bible, the Bible always details Team Serpent first and then looks at Team uh, God. And uh, for example, Cain is first and he has Enoch. And we're going to look at what he does. They're going to build a city. Uh, Surprise, surprise. Uh, but then on the top line, Abel, he dies. Seth comes on the scene, and he has an Enoch, and he walks with God, and he's taken up, right? And so you have these, these, these parallels that contrast with one another. We're going to continue to see that, but today we're going to look at building uh, cities. And so we see Cain first. Uh, he's killed Abel at this point, and he says, my punishment is too great to bear, says to the Lord, behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face, I will be hidden. <clears throat> I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. I won't be protected anymore. I'm going out of your presence. You're kicking me out of the garden. What am I going to do? You're going to, I'm going to, you know, wild beasts are going to kill me. Therefore, whoever kills Cain, the Lord says, 
vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. In other words, out of God's grace and mercy, he's going to protect Cain. Okay, from, from death at this point. He's going to die eventually, right? Uh, this is interesting. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Not good. Settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Anytime anybody in the Bible journeys east, it's bad. They're going away from the presence of the Lord. You're, you know, you got red flags going up. East is bad. Uh, Cain had relations with his wife. She conceived, gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city. And then he called the name of the city Enoch, after the name of his son. In other words, God said, I'll protect you. And he said, I'm going to go east and I'm going to do it myself. I don't, I don't believe it. And so he sets up a city. And so the question is, why build a city? Why build a city? Well, the main reasons for building a city, no, God, God has not told them at any point to build anything. Why is he building a city? This is not part of the revelation of God. He's just going out there. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. This makes sense. I've lost protection. I've lost provision. I've lost eternal life. What am I going to do? Well, I will secure provision for myself apart from God. I will secure protection apart from God. I will secure glory apart from God and eternal life, right? And so... Cain and, and his descendants are going to do what's good and right in their own eyes, and they're going to try to figure it out apart from God. And so he didn't tell them this is how to secure blessing. They just looked and said, did what made sense to them. They used their human wisdom, right? And so the question is, how do I protect myself? Well, walls ought to do it. Okay. Uh, how do I provide for myself? Well, we'll gather a bunch of people. We'll have commerce. We'll sell. We'll have workers. And that, that ought to do it. Right? How do I live forever? Oof, it's a tough one. I'll become immortal in name. I'll make my name great, right? And, and, and the name will live on. And as such, I'll become a God and I'll desire glory and praise, right? And this is the theme. This is the motivation from Cain. Uh, I have a quote. Uh, basically, uh, the, the goal is to mitigate the effects of the curse. God has cursed them. They're saying, we're going to make it less or we're going to end it apart from God, right? So uh, a guy named Michael Morales, he says this, separated from the one who is himself the only true source of life and peace, human beings are fugitives and wanderers on earth. Still, humanity ever endeavors to reclaim the benefits of life with God. That is immortality, protection, rootedness, etc. apart from God himself, such pursuits in themselves are the good gifts of God, but they were used to circumvent God rather than for his glory. A city building is thus portrayed in the Bible as a humanistic attempt to defy God. A sadly arrogant energy of self-will and self-assertion that shakes a fist in the face of God to one's own utter and inevitable demise ever grasping for the deceitfully just out of reach allurements of the city of man project. Oh, that was perfect. Um, in other words, uh, city building, building cities is early man's way of attempting to return to the garden or to make a new garden apart from God. This is what they're doing. They're not going to trust God. They're not going to trust this promise and this man who's going to come. God knows when, I'm going to go do it now, right? Uh, and so 
let's trace the theme through the Bible. We're going to do kind of a, just through, do a quick rock skip across the Old Testament and New Testament and see kind of the big ones the, the, where this is really fleshed out. First one we saw with, was with Cain. He was the prototype. Uh, second one is Babel. All right, and we're going to see all kinds of language where red flags ought to go up. It came about as they, uh-oh, journeyed east. Bah, bah, my red flag is bad. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone. Uh, this is the, this is the uh, narrator's subtle way of saying they've rejected the bricks that God has made. And they said, we can do it better, right? We're going to shape bricks of our, of our own design, and, and we're going to do it this way. And they used tar for mortar, and they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city. Uh-oh, not just a city, and a tower, uh-oh, whose top will reach into the heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Come, let us build... A city. Let us defy God. Let us make a tower to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. We'll live forever. We'll be protected. We won't be scattered around. We can do this. We can make the garden. We got this. Right? Not good. So there's Babel. The next one, at least on my radar, there's a lot, lot more of this theme, but I gotta, I gotta go. So um, Egypt uh, is the next one that I thought was interesting. This is uh, Pharaoh, and Israel is under uh, oppression in Egypt. This is before the Exodus. And said they appointed taskmasters over Israel to afflict them with hard labor. And Israel built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. Uh, So he's got, he's, he's building, he's got, Pharaoh has God's people building cities for him. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks. And so Pharaoh's doing what they were doing in Babel, and now he's using God's people to do it. Red flags, bad guy, not good. Okay, so we're, we're, we're firmly on bottom line, team, team serpent here. When you see these things come up, this is the narrator's way of telling you, and he did evil, he, he did bad. He's on Team Serpent. Not good. Okay, this is Israel's judges I thought was interesting. Um, if you know the story of the judges, right, they're, they're supposed to come up and make sure Israel does what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. They don't, they don't do a good job. They do the opposite. They do what's good and right in their own eyes, right? And so uh, Jair is one of the judges. <clears throat> and Jair the Gileadite arose and judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons... On 30 donkeys, by the way, you don't get 30 sons from one woman, most likely, right? That's another, that's another theme of the team serpent, as they're just taking wives as they see fit um, against God's word. But, uh, but he has 30 cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havoth Jair. And in Hebrew, that's uh, the towns or the cities of Jair, well, so he's got 30 cities, and he named all 30 of them after himself. And so this is the narrator's subtle way of saying, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not good. Not good. Um, and Jair died and was buried in Canaan. Uh, then, you know, as, as the story goes on, I won't 
show passages for this, but we have other big cities. We have Edom that becomes arrogant and prideful in their cities. And, and probably the most significant ones in Israel's history are Nineveh and Babylon that are called great cities. In Jonah, Nineveh is, is great before God. And, and they're going to get destroyed, right? In Babylon, same thing. The Babylon the Great, right? There's these great cities that are going to come up against God's people throughout the thing. And, and they become arrogant beyond just protecting themselves and providing for themselves. Now they're going to go out and conquer and conquest. And they're going to spread their rule and their reign from there. And this is Nineveh and Babylon. And so the question I have they seem to be doing this a lot. They seem to be building a lot of cities. My question is, does it work? Does it work? I, mean, I think we all know the answer to that question, but we're going to just, just uh, do it anyways. Uh, does it work? So let's look at Cain, right? Cain, if you, if you read stories about Cain through the Old and New Testament, he made a name for himself, but it's not the name you want to make for yourself. This guy's the OG representative of Team Serpent, right? Abel is kind of the OG rep of the faithful ones, and then you got Cain, and you don't want to follow in the line of Cain. Uh, not good. It didn't really work. By the way, Cain died, right? If you want to build a city to the heavens and become God, right, uh, how do you know if you're not actually God? You just wait a little while. If you die, you're not God, right? God's immortal. That's, that's the easy way to tell. Uh, so Cain dies. Didn't work. <clears throat> All right. Where are we going here? There, Babel. I love this. I love what the narrator does here. Hey, let us build a tower into heaven, you know, and make a name for ourselves. We're going we're gonna to build a tower to God. We're going to be gods to ourselves. In the next verse, then the Lord came down to see the city. Uh, apparently, he didn't build it high enough because the Lord had to descend to get to it, right? And, and this is, again, the narrator's little way of say of, I guess, God's humor saying, hey, let me come down there and see what you're doing. Um, and the tower which sons of men had built. And obviously, we know that uh, God scatters them and destroys the city. Doesn't work. They weren't protected. They didn't have life. They couldn't build it to heaven. They couldn't become gods. Uh, Egypt, you know, we know they are destroyed with plagues and destruction through the exodus. Uh, Israel's judges, they, they, you know, by the end of their reign, all of Israel's doing what's good and right in their own eyes. Everyone's doing it. And so they incur God's judgment upon his people. It's not working. Right, uh, Edom, uh, Obadiah is all about all against Edom. Right, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you, Edom. You who live in the clefts of the rock and the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, "Who will bring me down to earth?" Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nests among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The higher you build, the further you're going to fall. It's not going to work. Nineveh. Nahum is all against Nineveh. Behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirt over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vile and set you up as a spectacle. I will come about, it will come about that all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will grieve for her? Where will I seek comfort for you, Nineveh? Uh, your garden project didn't work, right? God's going to destroy it. Babylon, I mean, you go all the way through the prophets. There's all kinds of prophecies against Babylon. Jeremiah, I will dispatch foreigners to Babylon that they may winnow her and 
may devastate her land. For on every side they will be opposed to her in the day of her calamity. And Babylon's going to fall. Their little garden project, <clears throat> ultimately, not going to work. Uh, you fast forward to the New Testament. There's a, there's a new Babylon that comes up. It, it's the ultimate uh, team of team serpent city that is built in the end times. And it's called Babylon as well, the ultimate Babylon. Uh, and this is what Revelation 18 says. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This is the last attempt at city building that will ever happen in history. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird to the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a, this is Babylon, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and I will never see mourning. Right? There's that arrogance popping up again. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine. She's going to go down like Egypt and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. It's not going to work. Notice the theme. Why doesn't it work? God's destroying every one of them. It's not his garden. So the big question I sort of answer is, why not? Why doesn't it work? Well, Jesus says in John 14, I love this. And now he takes this theme and he applies it to the Pharisees who aren't building cities, but who are arrogant in their hearts, who are selfishly ambitious as the city builders are. He calls the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you seeds of serpents. In other words, team Satan. They're doing the same stuff. They might not be building a city, but they have the same motivation in their heart. They're selfishly ambitious. They're taking the law. They're using it to earn their way into the kingdom. He says, you can't do that. He says, if you're going to try to earn your way to the kingdom through human means, he uses this city in Babel analogy. Which one of you, Pharisees, when he wants to build a tower, right, think Babel, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Uh-oh. You want to get into the kingdom and back to the garden based on your own self-effort and selfish ambition? You better make sure that's enough to get you in. You have to carry the Luke 14 uh, image for when you knock on the door and say, let me into the kingdom, I'm going to look out and say, I didn't know you. Right? You better make sure you have enough to finish that tower. Otherwise, uh, when he's laid a foundation, is not able to finish it, not able to build it into the heavens like Babel tried to do. All who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. It's going to be embarrassing for you. It's going to be more than just embarrassing. It's going to be death for you. Right? So Jesus takes this idea of building cities and towers, and he's, he's, he's applying it correctly to the same selfish ambition that's within man. Uh, and so, the point is this, that the Pharisees can't get into the kingdom or to the garden apart from God. The city builders, apart from God, their cities will never last. And so the point is there's no provision apart from God. No point of even trying. There's just temporary riches that are going to be burned. There's no protection apart from God. There's just temporary, uh, what did I just do? Okay, well, there's no, I meant to say protection apart from God, just temporary breath, which is going to leave, right? There's no name that matters, just the name that is above all names. 
And for us, there's only temporary glory that'll be forgotten or remembered for the wrong reason. Uh, So those who seek to make a name for themselves um, never succeed. It it may last a little while, but in the end, if the name is not written in the book of life, it will all be forgotten, right? When it's all said and done, that's the only thing you'll be known for. All the crowns and accomplishments in your life will pass away, and the only thing not burned up in the fire that's coming are the things that were built on his foundation for the sake of his family. I like the illustration for this of a guy in Ruth, the book of Ruth. Uh, If you know the book of Ruth, right, uh, Ruth is married into the the family that's carrying the promised seed. Uh, And her husband dies. And according to Jewish law, to to the Old Testament law, if your brother dies and you're an Israelite, Uh, you take his widow and you provide children and you provide inheritance. She has a right to the inheritance of the family because one flesh or, you know, one one man, one woman, one flesh, right? Uh, Genesis 2.24. And so, uh, so the point is that her husband has died. The nearest uh, relative, according to the law, was to take her and to marry her and to provide children for her and to give her part of his possessions, his inheritance of the family and name it after his brother. He doesn't get any credit for it, right? Because this is chesed. This is sacrificial love. This is representing the character of God. And so obviously Ruth's husband dies. And so they go out looking for a nearest redeemer, a nearest kinsman who will do what the law says so that Ruth can have the family inheritance. And they find Boaz and Boaz is a great man. And he says, I'll do it. But technically the law says the nearest kinsman. And there's one older than me. He's technically supposed to do it. Let me go ask him. If he doesn't want to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it happily. And this guy, uh, Boaz comes up to him and, and shares the whole story. And he's like, well, that sounds great. Not doing it. Right, because now I'd lose my possessions. You know, I'd have to marry. I'd, this, this, it's just too much. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to show chesed. I'm not going to represent God's character. Right? Might as well be what He's saying. The problem is in the law. If you didn't do this, the penalty was that your name was not written in the book of Israel. <laughs> your name would be forgotten forever. Uh, and to illustrate this, the narrator names uh, Boaz's brother. Uh, Poloni Alimony. It's, that's, <laughs> that's how you say it in Hebrew. It sounds funny no matter what you say it, but uh, this is the Hebrew phrase, Poloni Alimony, which translates loosely to uh, old what's-his-name, you know, uh, old no-name over there, right? He lost his name because he, instead of representing God's character and trusting God to provide for him, he took it into his own hands and said, I'm not doing it. I care too much about my stuff and my, my name. I'm not going to raise up the name of my brother. And God says, you're going to lose your name. <laughs> it's funny because his name's Plony Alimony, but it's not funny because, you know, the point is made. But um, anyways, just thought it was a fun illustration. Uh, but building cities and making our name great, right, is one of the greatest themes in the Bible that's used to illustrate the depravity of man, the selfish ambition that exists within us, the depravity that we've all inherited from Adam, 
And none of us are immune from this kind of behavior. All of us are tempted to become city builders. And so my question, after we read this quote, is what part of you is still living to build cities? Michael again says, having been expelled from his heavenly presence in Eden, humanity's natural bent is to deny the exile and to reclaim the good life through science, technology, art, work, I mean, just name it, a a pursuit as hapless as it is endless, destined to failure. Such pursuit in themselves are good gifts of God, but they were used to circumvent God rather than for his glory. And so what part of you is still living uh, to build cities? Think about it. What things do you do in life that aren't seeking to alleviate the effects of the curse? Right? We, we distract ourselves from the sobering reality of death with drugs, entertainment, you name it. We alleviate suffering with medications and we place our hope and securities in doctors. We acquire possessions to distract ourselves, make it seem not so bad. Right? We store up wealth for a rainy day or for retirement and we do everything we can to, to delay the inevitable. Right, which is suffering and death. So in what ways might you be attempting to secure blessing apart from God? What is your motivation for providing for yourself? And that's really what it comes down to. What is your motivation? Is your hope in your possessions? What is your motivation in protecting yourself? Is your hope in the security of health and wealth? In what ways are you, att- what ways are you attempting to make your name great? Is your hope in your legacy? In what ways are you attempting to be noticed by man? Is your hope in your reputation? These are good questions to be asking ourselves, but if you really want to know if you're pursuing the way of the city, uh, then think about your motivations. Why do you do what you do? I'm gonna name a bunch of things uh, that are actually good things, and they're not bad things in and of themselves but they're, they're, I'm listing them for the purpose of getting us to think about our motivations for doing them. Are we doing them out of sacrifice to God? We're going to talk about that next week. Or are we doing them just to make our own name great or to make ourselves look good before man or to mitigate the effects of the curse? Working people, why are you working? Why are you so concerned with pleasing your boss? If you're a boss, why do you treat your employees the way that you do? Why is it so difficult for you to actually take some time off and be with your family and your friends? Students, why are you getting service hours? Why are you asking for service hours? Why are you joining this or that club? Why are you taking AP classes? Right? Why are you so concerned about your grades? This one got me. I was always obsessive about this. Why are you practicing so hard at sports or band or dance or etc.? What are your reasons for doing this? Parents. Uh-oh. Why are we so obsessed with making sure our kids get ahead? Why are we obsessed with making sure our, our kids are seen a certain way? Like respectful or kind. Why do we care about that? Why do you prioritize sports schedule? How about this one? Again, remember, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. I'm just asking us to think about our motivations for doing them. Church members, why do you go to church? 
Is it to serve the body? Or is it to put on an outward appearance of faith and piety? Do you expect recognition when you give or when you go out of your way to serve? Do you expect a tax benefit or to get your name put on a brick or a plaque when you give? And if so, why? As pastors and leaders, why do we like to preach? Why do we put our names on billboards and advertisements? Why are we so concerned with branding efforts? Just things to think about. None of these things, again, are bad things, but the biblical authors are putting forth these two images, the city and the altar, which altar we'll talk about next week, so that we can honestly deal with the part of us that's living for the city, that little motivation within us that's selfishly ambitious. And so the question that really gets down to this is whose kingdom are we honestly trying to build here and now? I think the honest person in the room will find the answer in his or her own heart to be quite startling, if you're honest. None are immune to this, and and I hope that this theme causes you uh, to pause for a minute and to honestly consider the question of why you do what you do. And if you find a part of yourself living for the city, I want to remind you of this. It won't work. It never does. It won't last. It never has. And it never will. We won't find what we're looking for through this mean. Even if you manage to secure a sliver of blessing, a quote-unquote blessing, a sliver of protection or security, a sliver of provision, it won't last. It will all be lost. Michael again says this. Millennia of humanity's highest endeavors in philosophy, political thought, education, science, and even conquest have done nothing to reduce the ancient curse. Arguably, the situation has gotten much worse. I like this. In his famed song, Imagine, John Lennon dared to hope for a life of peace by inspiring his listeners to imagine a world without countries. Such a perceptive longing for a harmony based on a unity not unlike that set forth in Plato's Republic rests ultimately on a misguided view of human nature, one that may be traced to the city builders of Babel who had been unified by language and ideal, yet they were opposed to God. They had indeed been a fraternity of man living as one, yet in imagining no countries, Lenin was tracing the source of war to its budding flower, not its root, mainly human depravity, sin nature, selfish ambition apart from God. Uh, So my encouragement is very uh, simply, um, it doesn't work because it's apart from God's plan. So let's stop building cities and let's begin to build something else. This is a two-part sermon series. So uh, to find out what I mean by that, on the positive end of the spectrum, (laughs) come back next week and we will look at the other side of the coin, Team God in building altars. So we looked at Team Satan, its philosophy that can just so easily entangle us and our motivations used in bad ways. But next week we're going to look at Team God and how they respond to city building with building altars. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll see you guys next week. Dear Lord, we thank you for our time together today. Lord, I thank you that 
uh, for, for this family here at TBC that's been such an encouragement uh, to me and my family. In many ways, um, encouraging us through the effects of the fall. Lord, and I'm so thankful for that in the body. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you have put forth your word so that we can uh, honestly deal with what's inside of ourselves so that we might, in turn, serve you and represent your character better, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to honestly deal with our hearts, reveal to us and convict us of the areas in our lives in which we might still be living to build cities. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. And we're back again. All right. Back in the studio. I try to speak Alex like a, a good soccer player. Again, Governor. For Alex to understand me. <laughs> well, as we were talking here about the sermon on Sunday, I, the first question I had about the sermon as I listened to it was, I thought maybe a silly question, but I kind of just asked it because I do have, I kind of wonder about it. It's something I never thought about. So when we were talking, you're talking about in Genesis uh, chapter three and the temptation and the fall. Yeah. And you made the comment, you know, they should not have engaged with the serpent. They should have just stepped on his head. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So could they really have done that? Cause I always thought like, in my mind, it was like either run away or do what Satan wanted them to do. I guess I didn't think of option three, kill the kill serpent. It, yeah. You know? Right. Um, well, yeah. If you think about, I mean, you think about, you know, Adam supposed to kill the serpent. One of the, I think justifications for that is that the new Adam actually does it. You right. Know I mean? right. So, so he's doing what the old Adam failed to do. And so, you know, so the implication there is Adam was supposed to kill the serpent. Mm. He didn't do it, but you know, we were talking and, and we were saying, you know, there's a lot of, uh, what seems to be contingency in the biblical story. Right. And we were talking about how, you know, in the gospels, Jesus says, repent and the kingdom of God will come, you know? And so if Israel would have repented at that time, would the kingdom come? And the answer is, well, yes. Mm-hmm. Did God know? that it was going to happen, what, what, that they weren't going to repent. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and so the way that story works is it kind of brings you on a, an emotional journey with it. And you're supposed to feel the loss. You're supposed to feel, okay, is this it? You know, is, is Adam going to stomp on the head of the serpent? Ah, oh, he didn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and okay, let's look for this new one. Is it, okay. Um, Eve has Cain, right? And she says, and Ish, you know, this is, here he is. This is the, this is the one he's going to come and he's going to kill the serpent because my husband failed. And, and you're like, okay, here he is. And then he brings fruit to God to try to get mm-hmm, out of it. Mm-hmm, right. And, right. And it's like, oh, dang it. You know? And, and so you're continually going on and, and God says to Cain, Cain, why, why has your face fallen? If you do tove, if you do good, in other words, if you do your job, will you not be raised up? Another Cain's scared of dying, right? Will you not be raised up if you go after the serpent? Well, the answer is yes, he would. But if you do not do good, mm-hmm. uh, sin is a croucher at the gate. You know, Satan is waiting for you at the gate, and his desire is for you, and you will rule with him to right? devour you. Yeah, right. and, yeah. And, and so, um, and so, so I've had conversations with young adults in the past. They're like, are you saying Cain could have been the Messiah? I'm saying, well that's how the narrative presents it. Mm-hmm. Of course he wasn't the Messiah. Of course God knew he wasn't the Messiah, right. but as you're taking on this narrative journey, right? You're, you're looking for the Messiah. You're looking mm-hmm. for the new Adam. And so each one is presented as like, this could be it mm-hmm. was, well, David wasn't the Messiah, but in the narrative, 
you're thinking he could be it. Right. And so, and you're con- so, so that's how a story works. And you, since yeah. we have the old and new Testament and we can read, we've read ahead, right. so to speak. But I mean, that was on Pentecost. If I'm remembering right, Peter's a big part of his sermon on Pentecost was, yeah. well, David died and he stayed dead. Yeah. Right. Because some Jewish him. people would have thought, David, yeah. this is it. This is, yeah. you know, and I, yeah, it makes sense. I just, yeah. we know about Jesus are, right. already, so we don't mm-hmm. yeah. have the same investment exactly. it as feels, the story is going. It feels heretical now because we know they're not Jesus. Right. So to call them potentially Jesus is like, whoa, hey, you know, hmm. but, uh, but that's not, you know, we're reading it back in, right? But if we're, if we pretend we don't know the end of the story and we're reading along, it's like, oh, okay, How would you this take is it? him. This True. is the anticipation. We're in, you know, even Eve, when she has Cain, she says, she calls him Yahweh. She calls Cain Yahweh. And mm. it's like, I mean, it's translated different than that, but in the Hebrew, it's, I've gotten a man, Yahweh. She calls mm. him Yahweh, right? And, and of course he's not God, <laughs> right? We, he kills his brother, it's bad, you know, right. but she's anticipating what God has said. Um, and, and that's how we, as the readers, you know, we have, we're more omniscient than the people in the story sure. because mm-hmm. the narrator's giving you extra information, but we're supposed to read it as, as kind of a story and being taken along this, this narrative. And at least that, that's how I take it. And so, um, and so, yeah, so, so no Cain, you know, Adam was never going to stomp. Did God know Adam wasn't going to stomp on the head? Yeah, he knew, oh. you know, God, the fall was necessary in God's plan to accomplish his, his ultimate goal. That is to, create his character in mankind, right? Mm. That, to, to, to create people who know mercy and have received mercy and compassion and all these things. And so uh, God has orchestrated this whole thing perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, but he's telling it through a story. And so you're kind of following along. And so at least that's kind of how I, how I see it. Alex, I was curious how you came up with this. I mean, you were charged with coming up with a two-week sermon, mm-hmm. a two-week series, or or maybe two independent stories. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with this theme? And yeah. can you give us kind of a preview of what's coming this? Because you won't be able to come back next yeah, week. So it's your opportunity to <laughs> spend the next few minutes talking about both sermons. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, I, I'm, you know, Sam always uh, teases me, you know, we, we were, you know, taking bets on where you were going to start in the Bible and everybody thought Genesis one, one. And, and, you know, I said, well, I, I take that as a great compliment because uh, it's very much what I've attempted to teach for a long time is you have to start at the beginning. And, and this is one of the first themes that pops up. I mean, it, it is, there's book, books upon books written about the city of God theme in the Bible. Right. And, uh, there, because the garden is set up as a city mm-hmm. and you find that out at the end of the story in revelation, the garden is the new Jerusalem, right? It has, uh, it's a great city coming out of heaven and there's the tree of life in it and the Messiah sitting on the throne. Once again, you know, the new Adam and the, the, there's a stream flowing with living water. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to get from a city to a city, right? Right. And so what they lost in the garden was a city, uh, was God's city. And um, those elements that you talked about, God's protection, yeah, and and the other the other elements yeah. of, of what a city yeah. can be, right. And the point is, He blessed them. That is, He gave them life in the garden. Uh, he didn't bless them outside. This right. was this was a source, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so when you the the sort of the implications when you lose that city, you lose the blessing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we're trying to get back to the blessing within the city. Mm-hmm. 
And that, and that's that's where we're headed. And that's why, you know, Israel is is always trying to be taken back to Jerusalem to set up this kingdom, to set up this garden, to set up this city. Uh, and so then, so it's interesting then as the narrator describes the fall of man and watches all these people follow after the sins of Adam, right? They're going out and they're building cities. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing is, why are they doing that? Nobody told them to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they're trying. The only the only thing they know about a city is the garden, right? So mm. in other words, they're trying to rebuild the garden. They're trying to get back to this. Um, but God has already said, I'll do it. You said, you have to wait for the seed of the woman. And, and you know, he says to even sorrow, you're going to have sons and they're going to get, you know, so it's going to be a while. Um, and Cain and Enoch and Lamech from Cain's line are like, mm, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go do it myself. Right. And so they go build a city and they think, okay, we're doing it. You know, here we are. Um, And so it's kind of this, this theme set from the very beginning of the scriptures that, that sets up this character system that they're going to do it apart from God. They're going to make a name for themselves. Uh, They're trying to do what God was going to do for them in the garden, but apart from him. I wonder if they had a sense, if Cain had a sense of, of course he killed his brother, that there would be some consequences. And so, did he, did he feel like there was a need to build a city that he could somehow protect himself from God? Uh, so the, the thing, the interesting part is, you know, there's this theme of like doing, living by faith and living by sight. All right. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of point of the whole sermon series is the bottom line. They're living by sight. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't know what the heck's going on. Uh, they've rejected God's promise. They don't trust him to do it. And so they're just going to be like, well, let's just go figure it out. And you they know? have no history no. to look around and yes. see what's happened they're, to yeah. right. people so, who have a, a sinful nature. Right. The sin nature responds to external circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still true for us today. We, you know, a circumstance comes and we react and we try to get out of it mm-hmm. or we try to, you know, and that's all they're doing. They're just acting on human wisdom. Whereas the top line is presented as walking with God. That is they come what may, whatever circumstance comes, we're trusting in God's promise. That's it. We're just staying grounded in that. Um, and so I don't know if Cain was protecting himself for, you know, he was protecting on some level. I don't know if it was from God, but he's just, I think the point is he's doing, he's doing what's good in his own eyes, right? He's, he's, he's going to re- do it on his own. Yeah. He's reacting yeah. to human wisdom. You know, how do I make a garden? I'll just go build it myself. I'll make bricks and I'll do, you know, and, and so, um, and, and I think one of the justifications for this, I didn't get to, I'll get to the second sermon next this weekend is in, uh, Hebrews 11, um, in the hall of faith, right. As, mm-hmm. as, as he describes all these old Testament people who put it, who put their faith in this promise to get to the new garden and have blessing. They, they remained faithful, trusting in the promise. They didn't build cities, but they still didn't receive what was promised, uh, it's still forward. And so they, they remained under the suffering of the world. But he says in uh, 11, 9, and 10, this is about Abraham. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So while, while their buddies are building cities, they're dwelling in tents, right? And he says, for he, Abraham, was looking for the city who's fa- who, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And they're, they're dwelling in tents waiting around for God to make his city. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how they're going to get blessing. There's no other way to blessing. And they're recognizing this. They're trusting God to build this city, which of course is the new Jerusalem. Um, 
the garden. Uh, and, and so obviously in contrast, everyone else is building their own cities and naming them after themselves, not naming them after God. Right. Mm -hmm. They're putting their own name on the, mm -hmm. on the gate arches right. and God's or, putting, you know, instead of God, or 30 of them. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Jair. Yeah. What a, what a man. So, uh, yeah. so, so I think this is, this is one of those early themes that shows up in the Bible. It's probably one of the most prominent themes, um, going all the way through from, from Genesis one to, to revelation, <laughs> you know, 21, I mean, that we're looking at a city mm -hmm. and all the way in between, you know, whatever comes between Genesis one and, and revelation 21 is connecting Genesis one to revelation 21. And so, uh, so we got this city and so now you have this rivalry between Jerusalem and Babylon and they're coming against each other in, in revelation. Uh, and, and so it, it kind of ends that way as well. So anyways, to answer your first question, I just thought, you know, how do we go back to the basics and, and start to begin to trace this idea that I think we so often forget about, you know, that, that there's this deep motivation within man to build cities, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and, and all through the Bible, we're called to deal with this, right. To, to continue to trust in God to, to accomplish this, but we have this deep seated, like character within us that just wants to do it ourselves. You think about it, you know, um, what makes you a good person? Well, I don't do this. I don't drink. I don't, I don't kill people. I don't, you know, um, well, that's not, that's not what gets you the blessing, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, I've done all these things. Therefore I should, you know, have earned this, right. Rather than I've got nothing. I'm trusted in him to get me there. Really putting a hundred percent of your identity that's in it. Christ. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And our hope. Right? There's yeah. not hope in anything else. And the, and the strong faith is that knowing that the chances are you're not going to see that city in your lifetime. Yeah. yeah but that's right. surrendering to that. That's and, right. And just knowing that eventually it will happen. And that's 100% right. You know, Paul says in, in the New Testament uh, that we don't, we don't just rejoice in the hope that's coming, mm -hmm. we rejoice in the things that produce that hope. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and he, he says, because hope uh, or suffering, we rejoice in our sufferings. We, because our sufferings, Produce endurance and endurance character. And that word endurance is really cool in Greek. It's hupa minnow, which is a compound word. Hupa means under, minnow to remain. And so the word hupa minnow is to remain to under. under. And I, I think it's really interesting that most of our prayers as Christians are prayers to to end suffering yeah. in our in bad circumstances. <laughs> and Paul's word endurance is remain under, mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. just stay there. Something great's going to happen. God's going to, God's going to perfect your faith there. He's going to build your hope there. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and so, so I think that's great. Even in the midst of circus, we might not ever, we might not see the garden in our life. Mm -hmm. We will not. In fact, I promise you, you will not see the garden in your lifetime. You'll die before it comes mm -hmm. or you'll be raptured at mm -hmm. least. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and so, um, so, so that ability to remain under the sufferings of the, of the curse waiting for him to, to, to end it. Mm -hmm. Right. Is this kind of the idea rather than striving to somehow get out from underneath it, which is futile. Mm -hmm. he, you can't escape it um, apart from him. And so, uh, so I, I think that's just such a huge part of the biblical story and a huge part of our lives today and, and the kind of things we're supposed to deal with and, um, and how we're supposed to wait for his, his coming, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> okay. 
I guess if we could come to church Saturday and we'll probably be a little disappointed when we can't get in the door. Um, Sunday, we will hear you talk about the altars part of it. Right. Do you want to give us any further preview? Uh, kind of just, you know, a lot of what I just said is, yeah. is pretty much what, what it is. The altar is a, uh, it's, it's a placeholder. You know, it, it was it's a place to celebrate the city. Yeah, not not just celebrate the city. The the the, yeah. the God founded. Right. The altar started with Cain, or sorry, with uh, with Abel. Mm-hmm. Right. He he offers God. God provided a substitute for them originally, and He covered them with these these animal skins. And uh, you know, we'll talk about this in the sermon. But Abel's over there raising sheep. Why is Abel raising sheep? He can't eat animals till after the flood, right? Oh, and, yeah. And so, he, well, he's he watched God, and he's like, "Well, I guess we're, we need a substitute, right?" right? Yeah. And so, so, so Abel brings this substitute, and that's why God had regard for it. And and it's not just a, it's not just an, a deed that he did. It was a substitute recognizing that one is going to substitute for us and mm-hmm. bring us it back into this garden mm-hmm. by mercy, right? And. uh and so he was recognizing that this lamb is a placeholder for the new Adam. Uh, and so this gets codified in the law that they're to offer the sacrifice in faith. Uh, it's going to cover them until the new Adam comes. And, um, and so the altar is this place where you have this very external expression of my hope in getting back to the garden is in the one who's going to come pay the, pay the penalty for mm-hmm. me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, Otherwise I got no hope. And so, and so that's what the altar is. And and we do that even today without sacrificing animals. Right. Um, because the new Adam did come and, mm-hmm. and he did pay the price and now we're waiting for him to return. Right. Um, and so, so that's kind of the preview is, is whenever, whenever somebody offers a sacrifice on the altar, you know, they're, they're doing it in faith, you know, they're doing it, uh, um, in anticipation of, of the one who's going to come fix it. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll get more into that on Sunday. But Sounds uh, good. Yeah, that's where we're headed. All right. Well, thanks for coming by yes, studio. Thank you. And um, we look forward to hearing you Sunday. And thank best you. everyone back home down in the big, big Texas. Uh, well, thank you. We enjoy it. Deep <laughs> in the heart of Texas. That's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Alex. Hey, everyone. We'll uh, be back next week and we'll find someone to come by. Someone will <laughs> come talk with us. <laughs> we might put a mic in front of Alan. We'll talk, we'll talk about the sermon next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the TBC Extra Podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We drop an episode every Wednesday, and on the first Friday of each month, we have an extra episode. Extra, extra! With stories, pastoral teaching, interviews, and more. See you next time, and have a great rest of your week.